0: Hi, this is Scott Howard, and we have another edition of the Hypro Factory Side podcast. Today's discussion will be on diesel fuel filtration. Uh, joining me today is Jim Simonton. Jim, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Hi, uh, Yeah, I've uh, been uh, working on uh, diesel filtration for roughly 10 years now. Uh, kind of started out uh working for Donaldson and now work with stationary hydraulics within the Hypro Donaldson group and, uh, have been noticing over the last, uh, six or eight months that, uh, the price of diesel has gone crazy. And which leads me to believe that there's going to be some, uh, maintenance issues that are going to go by the wayside. And, uh, I think, uh, It would be good to have a really solid discussion about why uh, diesel needs to continue to be filtered uh, just to protect the uh, investment of the engines involved.
0: Well, that's super. That's a really good topic right now. I think with supply chain issues, with components, we want to make sure that uh, the components are kept clean and dry so that uh, repairs are minimized uh, for that reason as well. So I think this is very timely for this t- topic. Let's start off with a question, why filter diesel fuel anyway? What is the benefit?
1: Well, the benefit is that uh, a typical injector uh, on a on a high-pressure common rail engine can run upwards of $6,000. Uh, they have very tight tolerances and quite frankly, diesel is uh, notoriously uh, dirty Um, the the weird thing is is uh, the standards from the u.s government have not changed since the 1940s if you were to put uh, diesel in a in a little glass jar and hold it up to the sun if you can see through the sun through the fuel clearly that passes the government um, standards Uh, and and a lot of people really think that that's what's going on. However, uh, as we know in the filtration world, uh, it's what you can't see that that really does the damage. And uh, uh, like I said, the tolerances on these uh, injectors are you know you know less than a micron in a lot of cases, and uh, or certainly you know one to two microns for sure. And these uh, you know so keeping the the contaminant out of the diesel. Is, is is imperative. Uh, we've noticed that uh, the fuel suppliers, uh, they kind of go with the government standards for the most part. Some of them are better than others um, and actually do take it a little more seriously uh, and try and keep their ISO codes down. Uh, but for the most part, uh, we see ISO codes of around 21, 2018 20, as being fairly typical. And these engines really need an ISO code of around fourteen, thirteen, eleven, or better. Uh, so we try and we try and educate our customers as to how to best get to.
0: Oh, you hear the uh, the statement: "There's no dirt in my diesel fuel."
1: I I hear that, and my first reaction is: Let's take a sample and let's put it under a microscope and let's see what we've actually got. Uh, generally speaking, they're somewhat shocked. <laughs> at, at, at what it, at what their diesel actually looks like. Um, an analogy that I like to use with my customers is, is if your diesel looks like a Pizza Hut Super Supreme, we really wanna try and get that as close to a cheese pizza as we can. If we can get it down to looking like a cheese, you're, you're not gonna have very many uh, injector issues.
0: I like that analogy, everybody can relate to food.
1: Yeah. That's good. <laughs>
0: You also mentioned that there's a possibility of water being in diesel. Is that something that's fairly common and something we should address on a regular basis?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, in just, a lot of people they see water at the bottom of their tanks. They know they don't know how it really gets there. Uh generally in like in humid climates on like in the southeast of the of the US, um you know, you just have basic humidity issues and then out west where it's a little drier, we get the wild temperature swings. Uh, you know, 35, 40 degrees a day. And if you have a tank sitting out to the, in the sun and it's 95 degrees during the day and then at night, it gets down to 55. Um, at some point, you're going to get that that dew point met uh, frequently. And that's just water that gets into your into the fuel. And I, um, sometimes it mixes in. Sometimes it drops to the bottom. Uh, but water and diesel is is not very good for the in, for the injectors because water molecules are fairly big and they need to get they they need to be taken care of uh, as as easily as possible.
0: And it's going to reduce the efficiency of the uh, diesel engine as well. Absolutely. So, yeah. so on these applications, where would you uh, recommend that we put uh, dirt and water absorbing filtration as far as in line in the process?
1: well it's it's interesting there's there's lots of places where we can put it um there are filters out there that are that are quite good at at dropping uh, i know we've got filters that that can drop down to uh that can pull uh three or four iso codes down and get you into into spec uh just right at the pump uh, and we can add a water absorbing filter right there as well uh that is a a you know, if somebody's really budget-minded, and that's the only thing that they can do, that's that is a very—it's uh, not efficient, but it's a it's a good way of at least doing something to protect that engine. Uh, but the reality is, is the best way to handle it is to uh, filter it coming off the truck, uh, going into the storage tank, uh, and then making sure within that storage tank that you uh, protect it by. You know, not allowing that water to form using either a coalescer or uh, or some sort of a kidney loop uh, with some water absorbing material in that as well. And also having proper breathers in there to keep the dust out. Um, people forget that these tanks breathe and it does not uh, it you know, it doesn't take a whole lot of uh, uh, dust to actually ruin uh, diesel. Uh, I was in a class some years ago at a a Noria conference and uh, literally the the guy used an analogy of if you took uh, an aspirin and crushed it into 200 little, into as fine a powder as you can make it and then then divide that powder up into about 200 little tiny piles and you put one of those little tiny piles into what would in effect be a 20 ounce bottle of soda, pretend it was filled with diesel. That would get you an ISO code of around 212018. It does not take very much contaminant to ruin a piece of equipment. Uh, you know, so imagine that type of uh, contaminant over 10,000 gallons of fuel or 8,000 gallons of fuel. Uh, you know, as that tank breeze it's pulling in a, a lot of dust. And and an analogy I like to use in my in my seminars. Is if you don't think a three micron piece of dust can't ruin something, please go look at your windshield. Uh, every pockmark mark on your windshield is a three micron piece of dust hitting it at you know 100 miles an hour. Uh, you get enough puck marks, you get a crack. Eventually, you're going to have to replace that windshield. And it's an analogy that I think people really understand. <laughs> that. The same thing is going on in their system If they, now that they know that dust is in there. Um, and they take it a little bit more seriously to uh, to, to make an effort to, to keep it clean.
0: That's some good information. Appreciate that, Jim. So let me focus on the nozzle. Let's say your customer uh, is not a, in a position to add any offline filtration to the bulk tank and – and you're looking at adding some filtration at the nozzle whenever the piece of mobile equipment is being filled with diesel fuel, how do you determine the media grade of filtration and whether you will need one or multiple filters in series to make sure that when the diesel fuel is being filled up, it's addressing the contamination levels properly?
1: Well, it, it, it all depends on, on the flow rate. Uh, you know, if it's your standard car type diesel pump at thirty gallons a minute, uh generally one filter with uh with a water absorbing filter in front of it would be sufficient. Uh if it's uh like a say it's a truck stop type thing where they're flowing at 130 gallons a minute, uh then we'd probably put three filters uh in series because each one of them can handle about fifty gallons a minute. Uh, flowing through it so we want to make sure we have enough to handle all of it plus a little bit of of uh, uh room just in case for pressure and things like that uh, so you always want to kind of go one one more than you really need uh <clears throat> is is sort of the rule that i look or at least one more than you really need uh sometimes you know we you know if you got a lot of a lot of gallonage going through it maybe we add two or three um extra filters just to uh, extend the life of the filters a little bit. So let's uh, say this
0: is an application where you do need to add uh, multiple filters. Do you step it down in filtration, or do you use a very tight uh, filter uh, in multiple uh, uh, housings? what What's your thoughts on that? I,
1: well, it, it, in reality, I what I have always done is it kind of depends on the time of the year. Uh, in that, in, you know, if we're using a less than, I generally recommend in most parts of the country in from april through uh, mid-november when temperatures are pretty good uh, a less than four micron filter Uh, and i say less than four micron specifically in that a lot of particle counters cannot see anything less than four micron therefore it won't be counted so uh so less than four micron down to you know some a lot of filters are down to one micron now Uh, but the other but i wouldn't go too too tight because there are some additive packages and then from november to april uh, i do kind of recommend either a six or a seven micron filter because some of the ad packs um are are pretty big in some of their molecular structures plus it attracts a little bit of water uh, as well in the colder months Uh, so you uh, you want to be able to have a, a good flow uh, going through it, and you're still getting, even in that six micron range, you're still getting about 98% of, of what you would at under four, uh, and it and it just solves a little bit of uh, uh of issues that can pop up um, during the colder months. But if a fuel is blended properly, uh, it, the the ad pack should be submicronic and should flow through, but. I've had enough experience over the last 10 years to know that some refinery somewhere will create a batch of fuel that is just beyond horrible. <laughs> so, And that's another reason why you need the filters there. Because uh, the, again, those, that, that one refinery somewhere in the country that just ruins everything uh, we've seen people burn through hundreds of filters in a week uh, because the fuel is just that bad. Uh and, uh, but it's every one of those filters protected every engine that, that filled up through it.
0: Well, that's really good information. So initially, uh, what we learned is it has to do with flow rate. So you're going to size the filter housing based on the flow rate. What other... Uh, components like uh, gauges. What are what are the ways that your customer will be able to tell whenever the dirt filter and the co- uh, the water absorbing filter is uh, ready to be changed?
1: Well, the uh, mainly every filter should have a, a a pressure gauge on it, and the first thing you want to do is you want to learn when it's a brand new filter is is you want to see what that pressure drop is. So as you're pumping through it initially, you want to see where that pressure actually is, and then um, you know you figure out uh you know what kind of tolerance do I have how soon do I want to, to filter these things and you know you want to talk to your rep uh your filter rep about what's the what's the pr- the maximum pressure drop that I should have before I change these things and you know sometimes it's 25 psi and sometimes it's 50 psi uh but you kind of add up as to as it gets into that range um to uh, to determine where it is the correct spot to to change the filter without you know, wasting filters, so to speak. Um,
0: and also the uh, the pump output capabilities uh, may dictate that as well as far yes. as uh, the DP setting. So if yep. it's a low uh, pressure that the pump can't overcome, maybe we even oversize the housing a little bit more yep, uh, since absolutely. we know we're dealing with lower pressures. Yeah, absolutely. So. If, you, if you have a customer that says, hey, when this expires, I don't want to have to shut down the uh, system. Uh, in order to uh, change the filter, can you uh, make a custom unit to where you have like two lines one is standby that you can bring online so the, the customer has time to change the filter without shutting down uh, filling up mobile equipment?
1: Actually, I think we do now have that capability um, you know using some of the capabilities of of uh, of of the plant in Anderson, Indiana. I think we have that capability to do uh, sort of duplex type housings now. Um, you know generally speaking, if you're talking to spin on your you know, a filter can be changed and you know even if it's five filters it shouldn't take more than ten or fifteen minutes uh to change those out uh you know but there are you know situations where people it's it, it, it there's a lot of things moving at the same time and having that ability to to um uh, switch <laughs> your filter off your your filtration. Um, side, and then moving back uh, as the other filters get changed, that, uh, those will work. Uh, but again, you got to kind of pay attention because I've seen the workers, you know, they switch it and then suddenly they got to change a whole bunch of filters, and it, it you know, it, it's it, it's that uh, least path of resistance that a lot of a lot of places have. So you got to kind of keep that in mind uh, as well. Is it easier to to change ten filters or five or even two? Uh, uh, all depends on the on on the situation of the customer
0: oh that's really great. so we have custom capabilities uh, for their application. Uh, we definitely need to uh, look at the flow rate to make sure that uh, it's it starts with a low differential pressure and then that'll also dictate uh, indication as far as what the capabilities uh, are of the pump. Uh, but we have solutions for uh, mobile equipment uh, as far as diesel fuel. And the two things, just to summarize, is dirt and water. The the diesel fuel is very expensive now, but also the components, uh, as far as replacing or repairing the engine, are, are very expensive now with supply chain issues. It may be a little while uh, before components are received or the repairs can occur. So it seems like right now is a very good time to focus on filtration on the diesel fuel.
1: Yeah, just absolutely the... Take the proactive stance and protect you protect your equipment. As it was one of the first things I always mentioned in my seminars is that if you take a filter down to its most basic level, in the end it is insurance, and it's the cheapest insurance you're ever going to buy.
0: That's a really good summary. Well, Jim, I really appreciate the time. Uh, it's very good information. I think right now is a very good time to focus on. Uh, contamination control of diesel fuel, and uh, we have the tools uh, for you. So thank you very much for sitting in on this uh, factory side podcast on diesel fuel uh, filtration. Uh, Please come visit Hypro on our social media locations on Twitter, on YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thank you again.
1: Thank you.